Welcome to Talk Farm to Me. I'm your host, Dana, or Farm Girl, as you may know me from Instagram. <laughs> Talk Farm to Me started back in 2019 and released its first episode in 2020 with Mowers Mountain Farm as it transitioned from a multi generational dairy farm to a guinea hen farm. What a great story! And now, Talk Farm to Me is here diving into the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of Maine with Nautical Farms' own Morgan Fogg. A strangely appropriate name for a farmer who heads out in the fog and mist on an old lobster boat. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Now, as of 2022, Talk Farm to Me is thriving with tens of thousands of dedicated listeners gobbling up the stories of the farmers I have the privilege of talking with. Is also a part of something bigger. Talk Farm to Me is part of Four Farmers, a nationwide movement to support farmers by sharing their stories, by replacing myths with facts, and by directing funds to farmers through mini grants. It is through Four Farmers that I met Morgan Fogg and her unique farm. She and her husband Jake are pioneering and emerging an important market. And a mini-grant was awarded to them in the first ever round of four farmers' mini-grants in 2022. We will get into that a little bit later, too, but I wanted you to understand the history, context, and trajectory of Talk Farm to Me and Four Farmers. There's a place for you in all of this, too. As a listener, you are already fulfilling an important role. And if you want it, there are more super easy and really rewarding opportunities. DM me on Instagram at XOXOFarmGirl if you're interested, or just follow along here until you are. Jake Patron has been lobster fishing with his dad since he was a little kid. That's where this story starts. Kinda. But I am going to fast forward through his life to when he married Morgan and moved out west, away from the cold and foggy shores of Maine. It's only fair to let Morgan tell it from here. We started back in, well, it would have been about 2017. And Jake and I were actually living in Colorado. So we had moved out there in our early 20s. And we were really kind of diving into our own personal health and fitness. We were going hiking all the time. And we really started learning about where our food comes from and who farms our food and different organic practices and a whole bunch of different things like that and really realized that we probably weren't making the best choices all the time and that we could be doing a lot better. And so we started just like personally learning about all of those different things. A lot of farmers I talk with, especially first time farmers like Paul Grieve from Pasture Bird in last week's episode, became interested in farming because they were on a better food journey. I'm going to leave you a link to that episode in the show notes because that food journey is so powerful. And for one reason or another, seaweed just kept popping up all over the place. Different people that we worked with were talking about it. We were hearing about it like on our Facebook feeds. And being from Maine and Jake growing up on the water, actually, he's grew up as a lobster fisherman and aquaculturist himself. We found it really interesting. And it was funny because we really didn't want to 
move back initially to start our own farm. We were trying to convince a bunch of people that we knew back home that were still fishing to start this farm because we just thought the idea was so cool. And everybody was like, you're insane. That's like, we're not going to do that. And so we just decided after a while of talking about it, that it made sense for us to start it. We were passionate enough about it. So we moved back. I think it was early 2018 and started farming that fall. And why did people think you were crazy? Like people in the fisherman category, why were fisher people thinking like, okay, seaweed is a crazy idea? Yeah, I think because it was still fairly new. I mean, this was back, you know, six years ago, almost. So it's fairly new in the US still. And there's not a lot of infrastructure around it to support it. So that's still growing. And people kind of always just thought that it was like this nuisance that got caught up in your lobster traps. Like, you know, there's no real use for it. What do people even do with it? And so I think that they just didn't see the overall vision of like where the seaweed industry was going, which is fair. It was still very, very new. But yeah, we had just learned so much about it that we were, you know, we knew that it was going to be kind of one of those like buzzword food trends coming up at the time. And so we believed enough in it. And there's so many different uses for seaweed that we knew that we could do something with it regardless, even if it wasn't within food. So yeah, I think that's why. So when you were in Colorado on your own personal health journey and you're bumping up against seaweed and information about seaweed. Tell me about some of the nutritional value that comes from seaweed. Yeah, it's so healthy for people and actually for for pets and animals as well. It has so much vitamins and minerals, vitamin A, vitamin E, calcium, phosphorus, iron, iodine. It's just so nutrient dense. It's amazing for your endocrine system, for your thyroid, regulating hormones, incredible for strengthening your nails, your hair. Um, It keeps your skin really soft and supple, which is amazing. So yeah, there's just so many different benefits. And there's thousands and thousands of different types of seaweed, and they all offer a little bit of something different. So we grow three different types of seaweed on our farm right now. Tell me which kinds. We grow sugar kelp, alaria, and skinny kelp. So they're all different types of brown kelps. Okay. And and they're not plants. Seaweeds are not plants. Very similar to plants. They have very similar plant structure. Um, they have a hold fast, which kind of grips on. They have a stipe, which is would be your stem as a plant. And then they have the blade. So very similar, but not your traditional plant. They are in some ways marine plants. Seaweeds aren't true plants because they lack a vascular system, an internal transport system for fluids and nutrients. They also lack roots, true plant stems and leaves, and reproductive structures like flowers. Instead, seaweeds are able to absorb all that they need directly from the water. You said that there was very little infrastructure for farming kelp. Tell me what kind of infrastructure kelp needs in order to farm it. The farming itself, we grow on long lines, so you can put it out into the water. We set up a series of buoys and and anchors and then some long lines which that in and of itself is fairly easy to construct as long as you have the know-how and it's much easier if you've grown up on the water like Jake has. He's he's definitely my better half when it comes to the the water practices. The challenge is the harvesting. So scaling a harvest, being able to get that done quickly. Seaweed is an incredibly hardy 
crop, but it can be very, very sensitive in certain parts of the process. And so it actually needs to be processed really quickly upon being harvested. And so being able to scale that and do that really quickly, especially for people who don't have a large boat, if you're not really doing large scale commercial lobster fishing or something of that nature, you may not have a large boat in order to accommodate this sort of harvesting. And so getting that entire process done, harvesting it, getting it to a processing plant or drying it yourself needs to be done really quickly. And then the processing of the seaweed itself into a product. So whether you're flash freezing it and, you know, just selling it as is turning it into a product of some kind that is uh, needs to be refrigerated or just drying it and then packaging it and getting it onto the market. So all of that was fairly new. Of course, we are very good at it here in Maine with clams and scallops and lobster, but no one has really, when we were starting it, it's building now, but no one had kind of like really figured that out on a large scale for seaweed itself. And how are you figuring it out? Are you renting space? Do you own freezers? Like what kind of processing are you guys doing? Yeah. So we dry all of our seaweed actually, rather than flash freezing it or doing anything like that. At the moment, we may do, you know, things like that in the future. We've just found that it works for us. We are, we got into seaweed, not only for its nutritional benefits and everything, but also just because we loved the idea of it being so sustainable. It's amazing for people. But it's also great for the environment. And so we've been super conscious and grown really, really slowly in order to uh, maintain that sustainability. We don't want to, you know, be growing so much seaweed and then kind of doing the reverse of why we started in the first place, becoming unsustainable. Sustainable has a couple of different definitions, and I am going to let Morgan talk about the environmental one. I thought I would mention here, though, that when Morgan talks about growing really slowly, that is a part of it. To make sure you are harvesting selectively from your crops only the healthiest and strongest product allowing the seaweed to grow properly, taking your time, using all of your harvest for one product or another, being observant and conscientious. So we dry everything and we just dry it by sun. So as soon as it's hauled out of the water, we do keep it at a, at a nice temperature so that it doesn't decompose before we can get it into the sun. And then we just dry it and package it. But we do rent space right now. We rent kitchen space. We do have a lot here in our little town where we live, where we dry. We're putting up a big greenhouse this spring, which we're super excited about. Yeah. And that's kind of how we do it right now. We kind of use shared resources within our little community to, to make it happen. That's awesome. Now tell me when you say sustainable, what do you mean? In terms of seaweed being sustainable? Yes. Yeah, it's incredible for the environment. So, you know, it has just as many, if not more health benefits for the environment as it does for humans. So it, as it's growing, it absorbs CO2 out of the atmosphere, or out of its area where it's growing. And that actually causes a halo effect, which is being studied and is really, really cool. So that basically, because it absorbs CO2, it makes the water around it less acidic, which then in turn is amazing for shellfish and makes them more resilient as well to different diseases, allows their shells to grow harder, and they they actually grow, I think, a little bit faster as well. So that's something that's still being studied. In fact, environmental think tanks and environmental practitioners are taking note of the power of seaweed to perform what they are calling ocean sequestration, or blue carbon, one of the most effective ways to capture carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Actually, 
it's estimated that coastal ecosystems can sequester up to 20 times more carbon per acre than land forests. But yeah, it's just incredible. It's, it increases biodiversity. It brings a lot of different things into the environment like ducks and different microorganisms as well into the, into the ecosystem. Okay, don't say otters. <laughs> They're otters because I'm a huge otter fan. <laughs> There are otters in certain parts of the world, yes, that love seaweed. Yes, we don't have them here in Maine. Well, when yet. you get one, I want you to send me the first picture of your first otter. I will. I love them as well. They're so cute. Okay, let's just allow me this little indulgence. Otters of any kind have my heart. I post silly pictures of them in my Instagram stories on Sundays in case you need a fix. More seriously, sea otters are only prevalent on the west coast of the United States where they hang out in seaweed. The east coast, and more specifically Maine, has North American river otters, also considered by me to be overwhelmingly cute. And sometimes they hit the beaches and waters of Maine's coastline. They're hard to miss at three to four feet long, and it's the water they love. But if any ever end up at Morgan and Jake's seaweed farm, we are going to be the first to know. Anyway, I digress. I was, I'm curious. <laughs> I'm curious about the area you need in order to grow it. So if I'm growing lettuce on a farm, obviously I can see the acreage, you know, how far it goes. How big an area do you need to grow seaweed in your business? Yeah, it can be as big or as small as you want, actually. So the state of Maine has different sort of lease sites that you can get through the Department of Marine Resources. So you do have to lease this ocean area. Um, and we've grown over the years. We started with about 400 feet of line, I think, initially, and then have just grown and grown and grown. We're now about five acres. And so, but yeah, you can do it in, on just a 400, 400 foot line if you, if you want to. And you could grow upwards of probably several hundred pounds on just that 400 foot line. Wow. And how does it start? Meaning if I'm going to have chickens, you know, I hatch eggs, I have chicks and I, and then they start being layers. I just want to understand, like, are you buying pieces of seaweed? Are you raising baby seaweeds on your own? <laughs> <laughs> I wish we were raising baby seaweeds. We may do that eventually. Currently, we actually buy them from a hatchery. So the process is um, very simply, somebody will go out, dive and look for a reproductive piece of seaweed, um, which you can tell by looking at the blade. It has a, a spot on the blade that's very obvious when looking at it. And so they'll har actually harvest that. They bring that back into a lab environment. They scrape that and uh, grow little seaweeds, baby seaweeds in a tank. And then they attach that to twine. And what we actually purchase is that twine that has the baby seaweeds on it, the spores. And so that's wrapped around a PVC pipe. And then um, we take that out onto the farm when it's ready. And that entire process takes, I think, just a few months. It's really not super, not a super long process. And then we will go and and pretty much immediately plant that on our farm. So we will outplant it and then it will grow over the, the course of the winter time. We actually farm in the winter, so it's growing right now and then we'll harvest it in the spring. Wow. And how long does a piece of seaweed grow, for example, in that period of time? Oh, anywhere from, well, the, of course, different types grow different lengths. So you have like our brown kelps will grow anywhere from 10 to 20 feet long. 
in that period of time in the five to six months that it's out there. And you'll notice certain periods of time that it grows much faster. So when the water's a little bit warmer, it will, it will really take off. So we see a lot of growth around like early November when we first plant. And then we'll notice through late December, January, as it gets really cold here in Maine, it kind of slows the growing. It does grow a little bit, but it's not as much. And then as we get later into the spring, it will just really take off. Every time we go out and check the farm, it's just, it's grown a lot. So it's a really cool process to watch. So tell me what you're doing then. You harvest your seaweed, you dry it. Now you're selling it and you make your own products. Is that, tell me what you're up to with your seaweed once it's harvested. Yeah, we actually um, do sell some bulk to another processor who turns it into a variety of things as well. They, I think, dry it and then powder it. They sell it to different food businesses, fertilizer companies. Um, it can be used for a whole host of things. And then we turn it as well into different food products that you can sprinkle on your food, use as a salt alternative, incorporate in just different recipes or bath products because it's amazing for your skin as well. So yeah, we do a few different things with it at the moment. Now, what's next for you guys? Yeah, we're in this like really fun actual like phase, I think right now where we're kind of growing our harvest operations. So we are building a big greenhouse this spring, which we're super excited about. It's been somewhat difficult in the spring to harvest all of the seaweed and then dry it, you know, by sun without having some sort of enclosure, um, just with the various weather conditions that you get here in Maine throughout the spring. So we're working on that. That's actually, we're pulling the trigger on a greenhouse this week. So we're super excited about that. It's this greenhouse that four farmers invested in with a mini grant of $1,000. The reviewers were super excited about this infrastructure project and the possibility for it to give Nautical Farm a boost in their business. We will be following along with Morgan and Jake on the progress of the greenhouse on my Instagram at xoxofarmgirl if you'd like to stay in the loop. Yeah, we're looking to grow our wholesale partnerships, I think, a lot right now, building our um, marketing out direct to consumer. And then I hope in the near future, there's some studies and different things that are happening right now with some of our partners that we work with, where they are working on getting different types of seaweed seed or spores that we can put out on the farm. So I would love in the next year or two to be able to grow like a dulse or an, even a nori on our farm as well. So expanding the different species. Now, nori is used for sushi. Is that right? Or yeah. are, are other types used for sushi as well? It is mostly nori. Yeah, that is commercialized and used for for sushi. Now, are you selling locally mostly? Or are you you're selling online or are you selling nationally? What's your what's your uh, yeah, a little bit of everything. We do sell nationally direct to consumer. We have started in the last year post COVID um, going to a lot more markets and different farmers markets, things like that, festivals, um, since those have started up again, which has been really fun and a really fun learning experience for us. And then we do sell locally as well in um, several different sort of like specialty gift shops, specialty food stores here locally in Maine and a few in our little town in Machias here. Yeah. Nice. And Tell me a little bit about the education process because seaweed is, okay, we all know seaweed is in sushi. Great. Okay. But other health benefits and like you're talking about with benefits for your skin and whatnot, like what's that learning curve look like? And are you the ones really doing that? Or are there other ones who are out there helping? 
Yeah, I think everyone in the seaweed industry is really focused on consumer education just because it is so new here in the U.S. relatively. Of course, there's places in Asia that have been consuming seaweeds for thousands of years, and it's just so normal for them to go out and harvest seaweed or be growing different types of seaweed and incorporating that into their diets. It's not that normal here in the U.S. yet, and so hopefully one day it will be. So I I am grateful that I think all of our kind of partners or colleagues in the seaweed industry are equally educating people. I think sharing recipes and different ways that you can use seaweed has been so important for us because the thing that we get the most is it's in sushi. Like I eat sushi and it's one use case and it's one type of seaweed. And there's so many that you can can eat. They all have different health benefits. There's different ways to use them. Dulse itself, which is um, an incredibly nutritious main seaweed here, which can't be farmed yet, but hopefully we'll be able to in the future. If you fry that up, it tastes like bacon. And so people just don't know that. And it's amazing. It's a vegan, it's a, like a vegan bacon. So we try to share as many recipes as we can post on social media, different things like that to try to share all the different benefits. Tell me a little bit about your industry, what it looks like, how big it is, who are the players? I would say it's mostly made up of people right now who grew up on the water in some capacity. So lobster fishermen who are transitioning into a more sustainable way of living or are just maybe realizing that the lobster fishing industry is not what it used to be. Unfortunately, there's a lot of regulations that are coming into play now. Just an aside here on the main lobster fishing industry, all of the lobster operations are small and family run about 4,800 of them. And the area has produced a pretty stable haul of lobster every year, $1.5 billion annually, which translates into 100,000 pounds of lobster in nine of the past 10 years. In fact, the Maine lobster fishery, as they call it, is one of the most sustainably managed fisheries in the world, the result of conservation measures taken by the fishermen themselves. But, Maine water temperatures are changing, some 3.5 times faster than the global average, and there's a new 10-year plan in place to protect the right whale in these waters, like removing lines in the water that add a risk of entanglement. Both regulations and the uncertainty of water temperatures have proved challenging for lobster fishermen. I don't know about, you know, the entire um, eastern coast, but here in Maine, there's a lot of things that are changing. The prices dropped a lot over the last year or two. It's just not providing the same sort of living. But people love to be on the water. The people that grow up on the water, you know, just absolutely love that. They've been doing it for generations and they want to share that with their children. And so they're looking for ways to stay on the water and still make a living. And seaweed has been one of those like really sort of easy transitions because lobster fishermen, they already have a boat. They already have a lot of the gear that's needed to farm. So it doesn't take a large investment. They can kind of do it in the winter when they're not lobster fishing, which is also a huge benefit. And it's something new. So I would say largely it's made up of people like that. But there's seaweed farms scattered between Maine and even now New York. The ones down in in New York and Connecticut aren't always used for food. Sometimes they're just used for cleaning up the water, which is really cool as well. And then there's several in Alaska and California as well. California is a little bit behind Maine in their aquaculture regulations. So they're just kind of getting started in their seaweed farming journey. But yeah, I think we'll start seeing along the West Coast them popping up all over the place. And then there's several key players. I mean, off the top, I think I can think of 
at least 40 to 50 really big, like, you know, moderately to big size seaweed companies that are in the US. And a lot of those have just started in the last four or five years, which is really cool. And where do you fit in span of sizes of these companies? I would say we're pretty small at the moment, um, just because we have grown it ourselves. Everything we've done has been self-funded. We've, like I mentioned before, really focused on sustainability and what makes sense for us and our lifestyle. And so, yeah, I would say we're fairly small, but that said, we're also, I think, really well known in the seaweed community just because we have been going for six years. We're, we're a little bit younger when it comes to the farmers themselves. And so we were early to adopt things like social media and share what we were doing. So I think our, our name has gotten out there quite a bit. Now, tell me what a day in the life of a seaweed farmer looks like in active farming season. Tell me what it, what it entails. Yeah. So when we're harvesting or when we're getting closer to harvest, I should say, we spend a lot of time getting gear ready. So we're adding more buoys and weights to the farm itself. You want to keep your seaweed as you're growing it about six feet from the surface of the water. So that's like a good optimal temperature for it to grow. And it keeps the entire blade of seaweed under the water as well, because you don't want it floating up to the top and just sitting at the surface. And so we're doing that. We're constantly going out monitoring that, whether it's every few days, whenever we get good weather, <laughs> whenever we can possibly get out there in a boat and it's safe to, to go and check on it, we're doing that. And then as it gets closer to April, May, we're monitoring it a lot more closely. We're monitoring the temperature of the water. You don't want to let it get into late May, June here in Maine because the water gets too warm. So then you'll get what's called biofouling, which is essentially little organisms that attach to your seaweed and they start to eat it. So you want to get it out before then. And so we just really monitor it and then we'll start the harvesting process. So for us, that looks like going out when the weather permits at the moment and getting several hundred pounds to maybe a thousand pounds of seaweed. We cut it right off the line, put it into some totes and then bring that to shore. And then we just hang it over the line. And that entire process takes probably a half a day or so to do. But thankfully, it dries really quickly as well. So by the end of the day, we're going back behind ourselves and taking it off the line and moving it into the next phase. Now, what are the what's the biggest challenge seaweed farming has? Hmm. Yeah, it's it's changed for us. But I would definitely say right now, it's probably just the scalability. And this is different for us, too. I We do live in an incredibly remote area of Maine. So there's not a lot of shared kitchen space. There's not a lot of opportunities to partner with different organizations or businesses that kind of already have some infrastructure set up. So we're having to kind of piecemeal different parts of our operations and then build what we can where we need to. And so I think that is like a unique problem to us. But I would also say just in general, finding places, I think for a lot of farms, finding places to sell their seaweed at a reasonable price that they know that, you know, it's going off to, we get better pricing for food products than we do fertilizer. And so I think that that's like a growing, people are looking for that, I should say, for those opportunities. So I think the more that people are start eating seaweed, start making products out of seaweeds to eat, the better off we'll be. I was curious when you were saying that the environment that's created by seaweed is really good for shellfish. And I'm curious if you have the opportunity to work with people who are growing and harvesting 
clams yeah. or oysters or whatever, <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah. Are they looking so, for you? Or do they want to like, do you plant oysters? Do they want to have oysters under your seaweed? Is that a thing? So we don't, we don't actually partner with anybody at the moment, although that's a really cool idea. I haven't thought about it in that way, but there are tons of farms. I shouldn't say tons, but there are like a good handful, maybe a couple handfuls of farms, especially here in Maine that do both. So they'll grow oysters and they'll grow seaweed. We actually started about a year ago now growing mussels. So we do, and it's kind of similar. You plant them. It's a much longer process because their shell has to develop and they grow over a much longer period of time. But we were really fortunate to get involved in a project here in Maine to grow and scale shellfish. And so they were looking for small businesses that wanted that opportunity. So we got selected for that and started growing mussels about a year ago. And we just sell them here locally at the moment. But yeah, they definitely benefit each other. And there are some farms that do both at a pretty significant scale. You also mentioned California's marine regulations and that they're behind where you are in Maine. And I'm curious what kind of marine regulations are needed or optimal for having a seaweed farm? Yeah, I think that, you know, like I mentioned, Maine has been, we just, we're an aquaculture state. That's really kind of what we're known for is, is our lobster and those various seafoods. And so we've been doing it for so long. So when I mentioned like the leasing process for Maine, it's just so it's, it's already been, you know, it's been done. And so it's fairly, I'm always hesitant to say it's easy to start a farm here in Maine, but comparatively it is, it is easier to start a farm because all of those things are, are done already. There's no going to, you know, your department of Maine resources and saying, I want to start a seaweed farm. And they're like, what does that mean? Or how does that work? Or you're kind of in the way of all of these things. It's like everything in Maine is kind of based around aquaculture in on our coastline, where in California, that wasn't the case. A few years ago, people were going to the state and saying, I wanted to grow seaweed. And they're like, we don't have anything set up for that. We don't know how much to charge you. We don't know how much site size we should give you? Are you in the way of shipping large boats that are in and out of our coastline? All of that stuff has to be thought of. And so, yeah, it's just, it's already been done in Maine. So I'm always hesitant to say it's easy because it does take some time and some, some real thought and consideration. We're incredibly careful of the other vocations that live and work on the water. We're certainly not trying to grow a huge farm in the middle of somebody's scallop dragging area or a place where somebody has been lobster fishing for generations. So we're really, really cognizant of that. And we take that very, very seriously. And so I hope that anybody that's looking to get into aquaculture also takes that into consideration. But yeah, it's just, it's all been done before here in Maine. So it's much easier. So you said Jake grew up on the water as a lobster fisherman. How about you? I actually have a background. So I grew up in Maine. I grew up in more central Maine, but background is totally different. I've done so many different things. I actually have a background in community building, in event production, and kind of like CPG marketing, things like that. CPG stands for Consumer Packaged Goods and basically revolves around the marketing of the stuff you buy by generating awareness, brand affinity, and loyalty. Super helpful experience if you are out there selling a product that is not as mainstream as, say, lobster. 
So our, our skills actually really balance each other very well. (laughs) I can handle a lot more of the front end customer service, sales, marketing, you know, recipe development, product development, all of that stuff. And Jake definitely is helpful in all of that, but yeah, he's amazing on the water. He can tie a knot with his eyes closed. He could set up a farm in a matter of, I don't know, hours. He's just incredible. And he has an incredible mind for thinking about how to innovate on that stuff and make it a lot easier, which was so helpful for us because we learned seaweed farming initially from a lot of older, older people. And so they were doing things in the way that they just always knew how, and they never had really innovated or, you know, tried anything new. And Jake kind of immediately came into seaweed farming and was like, I think we could do a lot of this a lot easier or a lot faster. And so even just our seeding process alone, he's been able to innovate on that. And we get our entire farm seeded in a matter of three or four hours. It's pretty quick. Wow. What kind of innovation? Just using different types of the way that he sets up the farm, the way that he ties the ropes, the way that where he's cutting the ropes, there's a lot of like, sort of technical stuff that I don't know if it'd make much sense for me to explain without actual photos. (laughs) But yeah, he's just great at that. He's just great at thinking about kind of like what weight to use and where to use it, what anchors to use and where to use them and why. There's a lot of different little parts that go into the actual farm itself. And I think, you know, some people they kind of do a little bit of research and they're like, oh, we'll just kind of throw this one type of anchor out there when really they have a certain bottom that may be more rocky or more sandy than it should be. And so they actually should use a different type of anchor. And Jake is just like amazing at knowing what the bottom of the ocean looks like and what to put there. That's a true skill for sure. That's experience (laughs) you can't replace with a YouTube video or a book. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. He's been on the water. Well, almost for as long as he could walk since he was going on the lobster fishing boat with his dad since he was like four or five. And he's been lobster fishing on his own since he was about 13 or 14 years old. So he's got tons of experience. So what are those friends who are in the lobster or fishing business in Maine think now when you used to recommend to them like, oh, you should do seaweed? And they're like, nah, you're nuts. What, <laughs> what do they think now? It's funny, actually, because now they're starting to come to us and say, hey, can you teach me what you're doing? Can you help me start my own farm? I wouldn't say that, you know, the masses are doing that by any means, but I think that we've definitely piqued a lot of interest and we have started help start a handful of farms in our area. People who are not totally willing to give up lobster fishing, they still want to do that, but are definitely seeing the value in adding another, you know, kind of thing to their roster and are starting to farm. So we've helped several, several farms get started in our area, which is so cool and so fun. And we absolutely love doing that. And we try to help wherever we possibly can. Morgan and Jake definitely have a love for Maine and the water and the new product they are farming. But don't let that charm and enthusiasm fool you. This is hard work. It's farming on a boat in the ocean. And as a farmer, you're cold and wet and dealing with a very powerful ocean under your feet. I think a lot of people, when they think of seaweed farming, they kind of think like, maybe more like of a California vibe. And they definitely think of, you know, sushi. They think of like warm weather, being out on a boat. 
And while, you know, living in Maine can definitely be romanticized for sure. It's incredible. It's beautiful. We're farming in the wintertime. It's very cold. It's very, very cold. We're often going out when it's very windy. There's big waves that we're trying to get through to get to the farm. And it's icy. It's icy. It's very cold. So we're dressed up. I mean, we have like, you know, we've got several layers on. We've got boots on, scarves, mittens, hats. Grundens to keep, you know, to keep us from getting wet. Grundin. A Grundin? Yes. Grundins are kind of like a overall that are waterproof. Um, they're not very fashion forward, <laughs> but they get the job done. <laughs> I love it. Watch, yes. now seaweed's going to trend and so are Grundins. Yes, probably. <laughs> Yeah, so I think that, yeah, people kind of imagine this like very beautiful, like, oh, they're out in the summer on a boat. How nice. That sounds lovely. I want to start one. And it's just, it's not the case. We're doing it in the wintertime. It's very cold. So yeah, I think when people realize that they're always like, oh, that's, that's interesting. We we didn't realize that. We actually get a lot of people who reach out to us that have never lived on the water before and say like, I want to start a seaweed farm. Like I live in Ohio and I've grown up here, but I learned about seaweed farming and I want to start one. And I'm like, okay, well, Let's definitely, you need to get on a boat. You need to learn how to, you know, <laughs> get your sea legs under you first, learn the basics of boating and things like that. And then, um, and then realize that you're out in the, in the cold. <laughs> now, how far offshore is your farm? Actually, not very far offshore. So, and it varies. Different farms are different lengths. Really what you're looking for um, when you're seaweed farming is these like perfect conditions. So you want to be a little bit protected, sort of like in a protected cove or a bay. If you can kind of get tucked in close to a, an island, it's really nice, but you want good water flow. If you want your depth to be at least 20, 25 feet of water, and you don't want any eelgrass or anything like that growing under you. So there's several different things like that that go into site selection, but our farm itself is probably only three or four miles maybe off the coast. And we are tucked into an island. Thankfully, we have a beautiful spot and the water is very clean. We have no big runoffs near us or anything like that contaminating the water. So we're super fortunate with our farm site. And is your farm, you said it's about five acres. Is it all in one place or are you in different parcels? Yeah, we are all in one place at the moment. We're actually looking to expand it over the next year. So the next lease site that we would grow into does take some time to get through the state of Maine, just that entire process to get to the next sort of level takes some time. And so we're going to start on that now, even though we're not looking to use that entire space at the moment. And that would probably mean that we're going to have to break it up a little bit. But what we're hoping for is to kind of stay around this island where we currently live, because the water is amazing there. It's it's a great it's a great location. And so it would be broken up, but just kind of scattered around this island. This is a question I like to ask all of the farmers that I get a chance to talk to. And that is, what is the one thing you would like non-farmers to understand about farming, whether it's particular to what you're doing? Yeah, I would say with seaweed farming in particular, know where your seaweed is coming from. So because seaweed farming is fairly new in the United States, there's actually lots of seaweeds that get imported from China or various places. And so a lot of what you're eating when it, you're eating sushi or different types of seaweeds are not coming from domestic, you know, it's domestic farms here in the US. And so I like to tell people that because it's it's so important, I think, to, to as much as we can support our local farmers 
and to recognize where that seaweed is coming from. And the, the seaweed in Maine in particular, but in the U.S. in general, is oftentimes much cleaner. We do heavy metals testing. There's a lot of different things that we look for to keep it super clean, super healthy versus other areas where that's not as, you know, as regulated as much. So, yeah, I would say just knowing where the where the seaweed comes from. And if you can support a local seaweed farm, then that's means so much to us. You heard her, folks. Check your seaweed. Know where it comes from. It's an emerging market here, so it's great now that you know a seaweed farmer to support the ones closest to you. And I will go out on a limb here and say that you might want to think about that for all your food. I know it's not always possible, but get your eggs locally. Your meat, too. It's one step you can take to support your local farmer and your local economy. You can find Morgan and Jake on Instagram at Nautical Farms and their products on the internet at nauticalfarms.com. I, for one, will be giving some of their products a try and I will be waiting for them to grow that seaweed that tastes like bacon. Thanks for being here on Talk Farm to me to get to know your farmers from the cold waters off of Maine's foggy coast to the Sun Bowl in California the cornfields in Indiana, and the hilly pastures of Idaho. Stay tuned for more new episodes that feature more honest conversations with serious farmers. If you like this episode with seaweed farmer Morgan Fogg about nautical farms, please share it with a friend. You are the best way to get the whole country talking farm. And you'll have my personal gratitude, of course. I'm your host, Farm Girl, also Dana, and this is Talk Farm to Me.